Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this edition of the Feeling Film Podcast. I'm Pat, and with me, as always, is my best friend and co-host, Aaron. Beep, boop, beep, beep, boop, beep, <laughs> boop. Hoppy does it better. Hoppy does beep. it better. I'm just going to say. <laughs> Dang it. Foiled by the robot. I know. <laughs> Sometimes you just can't do it. It was a good try, though. It was a good try. This week, finish off a full weekend of thankfulness. We are thankful to be covering this documentary entitled Goodnight Oppie, which tells the story of the 2003 twin rovers that NASA launched on a 90-soul mission to Mars, only to see them beat the odds and continue their mission for 12 years. It's rare that we cover a documentary, so the conversation may feel a bit different, but the emotion is definitely there, and that's why we picked it. So, as we get into the spoilerific part of this discussion, I basically gave away the <laughs> the plot. <laughs> you, just, you just spoiled it. This it's over. It doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Spoiler alert. <laughs> it's history. You know what happened. Just Google it. Anyway. Yep. <laughs> so, Aaron, you made me aware of this documentary, and you were like, you will need to watch this. I got access to it early, and thankfully, it was fantastic. Uh, to get early access to it. Um, were you aware of the event that took place in 2003, the launching of um, of Spirit and Opportunity? Well, before I answer that, I got to say also, happy Red Planet Day. We delayed this podcast recording by a day, not knowing that we would accidentally or coincidentally then be recording it on an actual day that commemorates the launch of the spacecraft that went to Mars first. So I think that's pretty cool. It was back in 1964. Nice and fitting. And and to celebrate that, I had to get my peanuts. Your lucky peanuts? (laughs) That's what we do here is we have lucky traditional peanuts. That's what makes this going to be a successful episode. So bear with me. Yeah, right. he didn't tell me about this, listener, so I'm not in the loop on this. So I'm hoping I don't nope. screw it out for both of us. You don't <laughs> have any peanuts, peanuts so. on the floor. <laughs> hey, that is you. You can't tell <laughs> just because maybe you move it that way. So if Patrick's part stinks and my part is awesome, you know it was the peanuts. <laughs> 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 well, to answer your question, no, I had no clue, and I felt pretty bad, honestly, that I didn't know about this, Patrick. I thought that. It was something I should have been aware of. I'm pretty sure that I heard about it. It vaguely sounded familiar, like the names Opportunity and Spirit were like a, kind of ringing a bell in the back of your mind. But I certainly did not know any of the details of this before I went to see it. And as someone who really loves space and generally follows NASA, I wouldn't say I follow closely, but I'm always intrigued by what's going on with NASA and interested in space exploration, uh, the moment that I found out this existed, I wanted to learn the story. And I took care not to Google 
and learn the details of this before I saw the documentary. I wanted to let the documentary tell me its story and see how that went before I dove into the specifics. I was the same way in that I had no idea about this. And honestly, it's not that NASA is doing a ton of stuff that we just miss out. But in the last 20 years, NASA has not really been popularized by anybody. I think it was President Obama that basically shut it down. Elon Musk sort of put SpaceX on the map with what he's doing. And space exploration has really sort of gone by the wayside in terms of like the public eye. So I think the last big event that I remember was the Challenger exploding. Like, and that's sad to say, but that was the big national news from from NASA. Up until that point, we had highlights. We had moments of like Apollo 11 and Apollo 13, you know, just the space race. And throughout the 90s and the early 2000s, our focus shifted towards looking at Mars. And I do remember us sending rovers out there. I remember... Obviously, The Martian alludes to it with Matt Damon's character finding a rover on Mars. But this particular story of these two rovers, I didn't really know anything about. And so it was nice to go into this thinking, okay, the synopsis itself is only part of the story. And that's what I think makes this documentary so amazing, is that the journey matters just as much as the destination. And so when you divide it up, they're actually two big parts. It's the prep leading up to, well, three parts. There's the prep leading up to the initial journey to get there, and then the aftermath of what happens after those 90 souls. And so to see so much happen and find out everything that the creators, the teams of people that went into designing and launching these these rovers went through that's where I connected more than anything else is not just, wow, these rovers did the unthinkable, but the people behind them and what they were dedicated to and committed to. That's what really attracted me to the story. Like I'm halfway through this thing and I remember texting you saying, this is amazing. Like this is, I'm I'm in, I'm in like all the way and I'm only like an hour into this two hour deal. So Watching how this played out, it was such a fulfilling documentary because it went beyond informative. And that's where I think documentaries really do have the challenge of not only being informational, that's what drives them, but also how do you connect with them? So when you watch the documentary on Fred Rogers, based off of the book, The Good Neighbor, it's pretty compelling. And I was more attracted to all that he did as opposed to emotionally connecting with him. Did it inspire me to read the book? Absolutely it did. So it did its job in saying, hey, I want to I wanna be a part of this a little bit more. Same thing with Steve Jobs, watching the multitude of, <laughs> of documentaries about him, about Bill Gates. I read his, docu- his documentary. I read his biography, and it was fascinating. And when you translate a book to a movie, you have to be able to add that emotional element. And Goodnight Oppie, I don't know if there was a documentary about it. I think all the the documentary was the footage, all the JPL footage and NASA footage. That's the that's the document. That's the book. This documentary felt 
emotive. It felt visceral to me as I was watching it. There were times when I was like fist pumping. There were times when I was like, screw you flat earthers. There were times when I was like, just so invested in the people. And I think the magic of the filmmaking and the way in which it was done had a lot to contribute to that. Yeah. I mean, it is, as you put it to me earlier today in some texts back and forth, it's a uniquely made documentary in that you have this ILM component. Now, I'll be honest, I I wasn't aware of that when I watched it the first time on the big screen. I went to the, a cool press screening of this. It was at our local museum of flight, which was awesome setting to have it in. Dr. Steve Squires, who was the team lead, he's featured in this documentary prolifically. He was there. He introduced the film. He stayed and did a Q&A afterwards. So it was a really cool experience. And when I was watching it, I did not know that it was all ILM work. So it wasn't until I got home and started reading more about it that I learned, oh, some of this stuff wasn't actually Oppie footage. I remember watching it the first time going, wow, how did they get the, <laughs> these shots of Oppie driving across Mars? Like, this is incredible. Like, I thought there was like some Martian camera satellite floating around in the atmosphere or something. And But to its credit, I mean, that's the point, right? Is that it blends it so well that it feels completely real. And just today... In the Seattle Film Critics Society, we have a Facebook group where each day we post another award for one of our awards as we're leading up to voting and the members can kind of chime in and say, here's where I'm thinking, you know, these are one of my favorite youth's performances or my favorite cinematography or whatever. Well, we had one for visual effects. And this is the example I have to give of when you're talking about a movie that truly utilizes visual effects in a transcendent way with regards to its storytelling to me this is that movie you compare this to like the movies that tend to win visual effects like a marvel movie right or a star wars because you've got lasers on screen or you got a bunch of green screen work but like these are like total recreations pattern and the the ability to see the amazing things like to visualize and and understand what it's like for the rovers to descend through the Martian atmosphere, go through that process of landing, watching that one satellite, like as they're explaining it step-by-step, step, cut the cord, the bounces, like all of those things to me, like made it real. And, and I could have easily believed those things were true footage. And so I, I was just really impressed by, the special effects work here because it doesn't stand out as special effects work. And that to me makes it special or, or really, really great. And so I, I yeah. loved how it did that. Uh, it mixed that with the documentary footage that you're talking about. Well, I think that's where you, the point you're making. Um, I make the same point when I talk about stand up comedy, when you see a guy like Jim Gaffigan on stage, he's on stage. So he is performing by default. You go to a club, you go to a, an event, and he is performing for you. That you know. But the way in which a comedian will tell a story where he will say something that will appear to trigger something else in his head 
as if he's just telling you stuff off the cuff. And then 10 minutes later into his set, he goes back to that joke. Like, I think it's, I don't remember what the guy's name is. Uh, it's not, I, I don't recall. He does a great John Madden. But in his stand-up comedy, he does the John Madden at the very beginning. And then he goes back to it like over and over again. And you have to take a step back and you think, these guys prepare. These guys are meticulous in how they actually go through and say, I'm going to go from this joke to this joke. I'm going to transition this way. And then they have to deal with hecklers. They have to deal with some of the, hopefully, there's no distractions in the audience. And I think about that as I'm watching this documentary because it's, it is seamless. You watch, you see footage, you hear people talking. It's actual footage because there was tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of footage from JPL. And you intercut that with ILM and the recreation of some of these rovers. And it doesn't feel like you're now shifting into movie mode and then back to documentary. This isn't like Ken Burns where you have interviews that are clearly real people talking to a camera and then a hard cut to an image that is being slowly panned across the camera. That's a great technique. It's the Ken Burns effect. I mean, it is a, it is a copyrighted trademarked name and there's nothing wrong with that. It is effective. But there's something about being able to interweave fact, and I won't say fiction, I will say fact and sensationalized storytelling, where you're not misrepresenting, you are interpreting based off of data. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that. That's what we do in every kind of storytelling. We fill in the gaps. Because unless you're on Mars, sitting in the seat with spirit or opportunity, you're not going to have a perspective that's going to be 100%. Even if you're there, you're not. It's going to be your perspective versus everybody else's. And so what we get in this film is a magical way of bringing these two worlds of storytelling together where you have images and then you have a slow transition into the explanation of getting to Mars and a solar flare. And, you know, those moments you go, there's no way they got pictures of all that. That's insane. How could they tell that story that accurately? And then you realize it's ILM. But at that point, you're so immersed in the story itself. You're not picking apart those things. I know that you're a, you're a big fan of like commenting when there's CGI, when there's an overabundance of bad CGI. I'm the guy that doesn't see that unless it's just really egregious. But this is not something that we notice because the story supports or the the effects support the story and the story is what we're staying for we're here to listen we're here to be told we're sitting around the campfire hearing these stories be told and the visualizations of that are really only limited by what ILM does i also like the fact that there's nothing that's really like over the top like this doesn't feel like we're getting super ai robots they didn't stray from the limitations or the definitions of these two rovers. They mm -hmm. gave them life in terms yeah. of creating, you know, a little voiceover narration here and there, but they intercut it with digitized hub HUDs. So we're still in that world with them. We don't think of them as it, it, it's something magical. We think of them as independent creatures, these rovers but they're not depicted in a way that is like that. 
it's like we are actually interpreting for ourselves and and attaching a human quality to these rovers, which I think is what these kids at what's these kids, these scientists and these people at JPL did for years and years and years. And I think that's part of the magic of working alongside these uh, these robots is that they become sort of like surrogate kids, surrogate entities. And I'll get into that in just a little bit about my thoughts on that. But that's what I think makes this documentary so special is that the effects allow us to feel the same connection that this group of people felt. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't think there's ever a moment where they're describing what's happening and we're seeing it through ILM's visuals where you don't fully believe that this is what's in their head. Like to an extent, this is what they see. This is their perspective, not reality because they're not in space watching it take place, but these are the ways that they envision these events unfolding and looking like they get so excited. And and that's part of it is you've got to do that for an audience. This could have been a very by the book standard. Like we're not going to like you use the word sensationalize. And I like that, but because you're using it in a positive way, but it could have not done that. Right. And it could have just shown us nothing but actual photos from Oppie or from spirit and satellite photos of dots on a weird landscape from Mars. This is the early two thousands. Like go back. Like we're not there yet. You can go now to NASA's website for perseverance, which is the Rover that's on Mars currently that followed up opportunity in spirit. And you can look at the pictures and like, you can actually see close up high def like the rocks that this rover has collected and, and they have names and they're like it's got like a tracker for the number of samples that it needs to get to its total like it's trying to get to x it's got like a little graph that's going it's got like eight out of 30 or whatever it is it's wild you should go check it out audience i i very much recommend it but that's the like you don't get that with these past rovers because that didn't exist we didn't have that technology yet and it would be very dry and very boring and so like you said, they're exa- not exaggerating it, but they're just giving you a visual and an understanding and making it as awesome as it truly deserves to be taken as. And one of those things that I think really helped was in one of the Q&As I attended for this, I heard the director say that they actually had to go through thousands of hours of footage because JPL records everything. So they didn't have to go recreate. And that is part of what makes this special is because all of that footage we're watching from the past, if that didn't exist, I've always said this archival footage is like my number one thing for documentaries. You give me a heavy dose of archival footage and I am likely to be enthralled because I just love seeing that stuff. And they didn't have to find it. It was there. They just had to curate it. And some of the, I I almost said actors, but some of the scientists and the engineers that were on the team that I heard uh, comment on this, they said it was very natural for them. So when they got to the point of actually being contributors to the documentary and retelling their story at places, they were used to having cameras around because they had been filmed their entire careers at JPL. And so I think all of that contributes to this incredibly naturalistic process where you're so used to watching people who are stiff, 
a little bit. When you sit down and you do those interviews you're talking about, I mean, we have sections of this where it's very clear that these interviews are taking place. There's there's a dark room with somebody at a chair, right? But their, first of all, their passion for the material and for what they're doing, their pride, it, it comes through in all of them. They have unique personalities, the people that they chose to be a part of this documentary. So there's different personality types. Some are funny, some are charismatic, some are pretty scientific and straightforward, some are leaders. I loved the mixture of that and that, but that, uh, you know, passion, that enthusiasm comes through in a way that just mixes perfectly and blends with the archival footage plus the ILM stuff and what I think are two really cool elements. Now, some have complained and said that the score and the Angela Bassett voiceover are overly sentimental. I am of the opposite mindset, personally. I think Blake Neely's score for this is one of the absolute best of the year. It, to me, is appropriate for the literal awesomeness. And we use awesome sometimes, I think, way too casually. This is truly awesome stuff. And I think that that it is indicative of that feeling, and it evokes that, and I'm okay with that. Because I want to have my emotions heightened. I want to feel somewhat connected to these rovers like the people who created them did. And I want to be inspired by this documentary and by the space exploration that is taking place. And the score helps to do that. And Angela Bassett has such an incredible voice. And I think it works for me largely because she's used pretty sparingly. Like she you know, drops in just here and there to give a little bit of narration from the rover perspective. And I don't know, man, I just, it, it it's a perfect blend. It, it's one of those magical, you used that word earlier, but they just hit all the right notes for me. And I, and I was completely sucked into this thing the entire time. I haven't stopped recommending it to people ever since. I look at that approach of sentimentality of, the score, Angela Bassett's sparse, yeah, that's the right word, sparingly uh, used voice. And I think what makes it appropriate is the fact that when we think about space, it has so many dynamics of personality. This idea that you can take a movie like Interstellar and space can be incredibly scary and dark and alone. Um, and then you can take something like Apollo 13 and it can still be scary, but it can be action centric, or you can take the docu-series from the earth to the moon, which can be inspirational and it can, it could make you feel like, wow, we did something amazing. And I think what Goodnight Oppie does with all those elements that we've mentioned is it elevates the expanse of space, the wonder of space that I feel like has been lost over the last two decades. Because again, the space race of getting to the moon was such a huge deal that unless we're talking about colonizing Mars and going to live there in the next 25 years, it doesn't really matter. And people would argue 
and may have a slightly valid point. Why? Why are we spending so much money to do something that doesn't affect us right now? My argument would be because it's there. Because we are people that need to discover. We are people that want to look beyond ourselves. And look, as a faith-based individual, I can tell you that was their life on Mars prior to it living right now? I have no idea. What I think the documentary does well is in the latter half of it, is it asks the question, why go to Mars? Why do this? Why spend 12 years digging up rocks and soil to find water? Who cares that there was life elsewhere? The point they were making, one of the things they were saying is that because it can teach us about how we can take care of our planet, the history of Mars and what it potentially was could help us interpret, well, how do we make our planet a little bit better? And I'm not advocating- How do we avoid the same fate, right? How do we not end up with no water on Earth? (laughs) Yeah. And I don't think it's a catastrophic message. What I think it is, it's an informative one. And I think- it evokes a sense of satisfying this level of curiosity that we have as human beings. And the fact is, we could ask the same question, why do we pay athletes so much money to play a game that we could play on the playground and not pay teachers the same amount because they're doing something vastly more important? When it comes to what's important, it's subjective. And I'm going to be an advocate for space exploration because there's so much out there And I'm not asking the question, are we alone in the universe, when I'm thinking about space exploration. I'm thinking, what else is out there? And the beauty of the universe and the curiosity of a planet like Mars and what it could potentially tell us about our future, what it could potentially tell us about its past. Like there's archaeology in that. Why do we dig up bones? Why is paleontology so popular? Because... It's at its core, just like space exploration, it's about curiosity and understanding more about just really saying, it's asking the question, why? Why does this exist? Why is this happening? And for the people that were invested that decade plus in these two rovers, that's what they were dedicated for is There's always something to explore. And that's the thing about these two rovers is they got so much more out of them that they're like, why not? Like we could easily said, okay, 90 days, we're good. Let's move on. But no, they said, oh my gosh, we actually have a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance. Let's maximize what they can do. And that's what the back half of this movie is is doing. And why I loved it was one of the reasons I loved it was the fact that they were trying to find ways to maximize the the opportunity <laughs> to be well to done. be very fantastic to maximize that in a way that they could just discover all that they could were they done absolutely not that's why we have a rover on mars now and i think that there's value in being able to explore constantly if you're seeking answers that are beneficial, not just for your own curiosity, I think that's a great byproduct, but for the people around you. And so if I'm honestly, as a scientist, asking the question, not how cool is Mars, but saying, what things are we discovering on Mars that we could relate to our planet to help us understand our planet better, then that's a good thing. And if, 
people are willing to pay for it, then why not? I mean, the fact is people are willing to pay celebrities and athletes so much money. People, like the people that go buy tickets, not not companies, not team. And, you know, they're, It's coming from somewhere. It's being printed or whatever. But the fact is there's value in that. And it's not any more, any less than an entertainment factor of an athlete or a movie star, but there's, there's value in it. And I think it, that this movie elevates that through those types of emotive techniques that we talked about. It makes me at the end of the day, when I watch this say, I want to care more about the space program. I want to care more about Mars. And I hope that in six months, I'm not thinking like, oh yeah, we got, we got a rover up there. What's, what's going on with that? Maybe I will, because we're people that want milestones. The attraction for this documentary, 12 years as opposed to 90 souls. (laughs) Not what they found, but the journey to get there. And I think that we need those kinds of milestones to keep us interested. That's probably the reason why you and I didn't know about this when when they took off, because it takes, what, a year or however long to get to Mars. <laughs> so, you know, launch it. And then a year later, we're like, oh yeah, it made it finally. Cool. It It's a slow burn. Space exploration is a very slow burn. And I think that's its intent is not to keep us entertained. Its intent is to remind us that there's more out there to explore and discover. And this movie does that really well. I think you're making a really good point there because space exploration is fascinating, but it is largely unrewarding or unsatisfying in the way that pretty much any other scientific field could be because you're unlikely to find a singular, amazing, incredible discovery that changes everything, right? Like that's what all the movies are about. (laughs) They're always about, oh, we found the alien or we found the thing. We found the obelisk or whatever the case may be the space baby but that's not reality like our stories can skip ahead and make that happen and we all want to be a part of that or experience that discovery but our lives are short in the big scope of things and so space exploration is something that has to be invested heavily in and continued and has to exist for generation upon generation and upon generation because it has to be it's a it's a thing that has to be built upon right and so some of the best things that you can ways that you can understand this is through like novels like Arthur C Clarke novels and the foundation series and and understanding like there's thousands of years that are spanned between things happening and it doesn't happen if you just get tired of looking for something and not finding it and quit, right? It's You've got to continue, continue, continue. I mean, this story is incredible, but it's about rovers driving around for 14 years on the surface of Mars. And it's almost a letdown at one point during the documentary when you get the knowledge and it really becomes clear. And they're saying that, you know, it took six months to get (laughs) 30 yards across this sand dune or whatever like it is a lengthy process and so i think we live in a society that really wants ultimate grat or instant gratification and space exploration doesn't largely do that but it's cool that we do have the technology we do now like i said you can track perseverance on the website and see these gorgeous high resolution photos you can track 
the new James Webb telescope that's out there taking pictures of galaxies. And it is incredible. And I highly recommend that to anybody who's remotely interested in space. You can watch rocket launches and civilian created rocket launches on Twitter. Not to intentionally make an Elon Musk connection, but like you can watch them on YouTube. You can watch them on Facebook or whatever. You can watch these things live actually happen, not recorded on, you know, a handheld video camera on your nightly newscast or whatever. And so it's easy to get plugged in to care about this. And it definitely makes me want to as well. And I I was also kind of equally invested, Patrick, you know, the first half of this all about, or maybe it's not even half, maybe it's like a third. I don't know what the amount of time is, but the first part of this about the building and the innovation and creativity that goes into designing the rovers. I, I was so completely hooked on this entire journey, each and every piece of it. I found that fascinating the way that they showed the testing and they did that one test with the parachutes and the guy the guy's like well that was the parachute we were planning on sending to mars so i don't know what we're gonna do now (laughs) and uh (laughs) it's just nuts and then the insanity at every turn it just feels like it's incredible like how how do we accomplish this they talked about the timeline of 26 months because of planetary alignment that you only have this amount of time before you can get these off. And there's so many things I found in here that were kind of like references also used in the Martian, the movie. So I think it just highlighted for me how strong their actual NASA and JPL representation was on it because it felt a lot like we saw it here in the real life version. But we, when you see that they're going out there and they're about to try and get these things to Mars, they have to stay out there in the middle of space for whatever, like six months or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then the one guy is being interviewed and he says, it's like being in Los Angeles and you want to hit a golf ball and hit the door handle on Buckingham Palace. That's what we're trying to do. I mean, How? And then just like in the movie Passengers, it goes through the solar flare storm and they have to shut down and their software gets corrupted. And somehow back on Earth, us humans have figured out a way to like make these machines reboot and re-upload software into space. It is it is mind blowing. I don't know how you can watch this and not literally have your jaw on the floor the whole time you're observing it. Yeah, the 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 realist in me or the pessimist in me would look at that in total agreement with you. This is why I love one of the many reasons I'm loving the documentaries, everything you just said. But in the back of my head, I'm thinking about the science deniers. I'm thinking about those who don't think we went to the moon, who think that everything is a hoax. And they're like, well, of course, all that's fake. I mean, how could they do that? Because they're smart and because they spent time. And it goes back to what you were talking about regarding that instant gratification. What we see, we see this. We see this little this little sliver of what happened, but we don't see every test that took place that failed. We don't see every day and every night that these people spent with these rovers tweaking and building and doing all these little things in order to make sure that they work. What we see is this unbelievable thing that happened. And all we can think of, the cynics in us, say, there's no way you can do that. 
No, there's no way I can do that. Pointing to myself. Why? Because I'm stupid when it comes to that. I'm not a scientist. I haven't spent years studying and doing the math and figuring this stuff out. And we don't see, because this isn't a full-fledged 12-year documentary, it could be because JPL records everything, but we don't see all the failures. We see the highlights of it because the fact is it would be very boring to watch that. Day 385, oh, this test failed again. Well, let's just keep going. That's lunch. No, we're not going to watch that. What we're going to see is the success from a place of almost impossibility. But I never once thought, oh, there's no way they did that or they made that story up. Because the fact is, space exploration highlights the accomplishments of humanity. It honestly does. Now, from an athletic point of view, from other talents, can you do amazing things? Absolutely. But because of the infinite impossibilities about space, the fact that we can succeed at landing someone on the moon, at taking a rover from Earth and landing it precisely on a spot on Mars, and I say without problems, no, it had problems. That's what made it a justified story is that there were problems. But the fact that we can overcome those, I think is what makes it so, so impactful. And it reminds me that humans aren't super superheroes that we can't do anything like I, I don't get the message like oh yeah we're humans we can do anything no we can do anything if we can accept failure as part of it and recognize that some things just aren't going to work there was a part in the documentary where as they were talking about spirit and opportunity on the ground pre-flight they were saying that we were running all these tests and spirit would fail but opportunity would run the same test and he would succeed. <laughs> and it was like these, these twin kids where you had this one that just couldn't get it. And this other one's like an overachiever. And they started describing them like children. And I thought, is that unhealthy? Is it unhealthy to kind of describe these like your children? But again, I love some of the interviews because they acknowledge that they acknowledge the fact that we know these are not children. We know these are not human beings that we are bleeding for. But I love the personification of these rovers using ILM, using these interviews. And it's what I latched onto because it elevates the people that created them and lived through the lifetimes. This is 12 years that some of these people have been with these rovers, have been on this job. I mean, I don't know... A lot of people that are younger than me or my age that have lived through the same job for a decade plus on the same project. I mean, that's pretty that's pretty amazing in and of itself. But I can see why there's an attachment given to these two rovers because it's not that they have heartbeats. It's not that they have souls. They've had <laughs> they experience souls, a different kind of soul, but it's the fact that they were accomplishing things, that they were doing things, that success or failure, these folks could be proud of. And it wasn't about loving a robot. It was about caring so deeply about the thing you created and whatever it did, whether it succeeded or it failed, you could be proud of having been part of that journey. And that's, 
I think what is really highlighted with these people is not that they did something amazing. I mean, the rovers were doing the amazing thing, but these people were helping them with the commands and whatnot. But it was more about this longevity of saying, we're going to keep going until we can't anymore. And then what do we do next? We keep going. (laughs) And I think that there's something to be said about longevity, about endurance, um, which I think is a great name for a rover, by the way. And it's, I think it just captures the dedication and the passion of an occupation beyond just getting paid. That's what I think space exploration, NASA evokes in me is a sense of people love what they do. We live in a world right now where most people are not happy with their jobs. It's a means to an end. It helps pay the bills. It gets them on vacation, gets them to a cruise every few years. It pays for their kids' education. But in no way do they do a lot of people think, man, I love my job. I love doing what I'm doing. And these people, they live it. The folks at JPL make me believe that you can absolutely love your job. And and I think there's something valuable in that because it's, I mean, it's about retention. We get people that stay there for a long time. But it says something about placing value in something, in a group of people, in a project, in a goal, in a vision. And that's something that I think is lost in today's market, in today's occupational world, is that we're not passionate. I don't think we're meant to be all the time, but I think that that's something that fuels a person's value and and worth. And it's what I think is is coming out in this documentary is the passion that they felt for what they were doing. Yeah, I thought that was, I was hoping you'd get there when you were talking about the sports team analogy and the athlete thing, because you kind of, you get to there at the end there when you're talking about, it's not about being individually excellent at something. And it's not about the individual accomplishment. Not a single one of these people could do any of this remotely close to this on their own. And they all know that. They all know that they play a role. Whether it's a mission commander, whether it's the rover driver, which was a super cool little section. I just love all the little details, man, that we got to learn where they're talking about how, you know, it takes anywhere from four to 20 minutes to send a signal to reach Mars. And so they would send a series of commands telling the rover where to go. And then they would go off and go to bed and come back (laughs) and see what happened (laughs) and then try to give it some, you know, make a new route. Things like those little details, but everybody plays a part. And it is such a true to goodness team effort that winning is not for them personally. It is in service of humanity and exploration. And it's just, it's, it's a bigger purpose, right? It's a lot of what nationalism, the positive ways nationalism can show up or pride in your country, everything can become toxic in in ways, but there's something to be said about that. There, you know, people join the military for similar reasons because they want to be part of a team, not because they want to be the commando that goes out and gets X number of kills or whatever the case may be. Now, do those people exist? Sure, but those are not the vast majority of why people, especially back in the day, into the, the World War era, of course, I guess a lot of them didn't have choice, but the ones that did were doing it for a, a bigger reason bigger than themselves. And that's what NASA folks felt like to me here as well. And it's just, it's amazing. I'll kind of, I don't, 
I want to go through every single one, but all the obstacles they face just kind of, I was so fascinated by it. I couldn't get over things like the dust storms where they are about to face these big dust devil storms on Mars. And they're like, "Uh Oh, this is it. (laughs) We're done. And instead they clean the rovers and ended up giving them the ability to keep going even further than they had before, because it, got all the dust out of them instead of filling them up with dust. Like, that's crazy. Like, you would never think that. Or when opportunity gets stuck. This is another scene in the documentary that definitely reminded me of The Martian. Because in the movie, when he's stuck up there and he's trying to figure out how to get himself home... They do the same thing that they talked about here. And the guy in the the documentary, one of the team members says, when Opportunity gets stuck in the sand, he says, there's no book called Extracting Rovers from Sand Dunes. (laughs) So we built a sand dune, and for six weeks, we practiced trying to find a way to get Opportunity out. And that's exactly what they replicate in the movie The Martian uh, as well. And so just seeing them go through these processes, it's super inspiring to me and i felt like in a way this is like the best stem commercial you could ever have if you have a kid that is remotely interested in science technology engineering mechanics i think is what it is i don't know i'm probably getting those wrong but i think i'm close um you know you show them this even they even have kids in here one of the team members on the later half of the mission was someone who won a contest and got to be in the room during the launch. And then she goes on and continues her career and becomes part of it. It's so cool. The the way that, like you said, the team members give them when they were creating the rovers, they were aware of that and they made it personal by giving them eyes, like making them look almost like they were a real robot. They even, one of the guys and I texted you about how how much this makes me laugh both times I've seen the movie. When he refers to him as Johnny Fives, I, lo- I love it. Like, they're self-aware and understanding of the way that pop culture has robots. And they were applying that to their real-life robot in a way, which is just really neat. But I think they do it in service to the mission. So they're not designing these robots to... to emulate well, no Johnny they're not Five it's not for fun or, yeah <laughs> but that's but that's what i think is interesting is that there's function behind the form they're not just making them look cool like when we look at oppie when we, or opportunity we look at spirit we're like oh look it's johnny five oh look it's wally what they see is these are the rovers that we gave them eyes because this is how we want them to look around on the surface of mars this is how we want them to be able to experience life on Mars for these 90 plus souls. And so when you see that, the result is a life form that looks approachable. I won't say human, but looks like something you could attach to. When we watch movies like Real Steel, it if something has a face, we we gravitate towards it. And Adam had that spirit and opportunity both had faces, but their faces were in service to the purpose of what they were going to do. And I thought that's something that makes a lot more sense 
as a byproduct as opposed to we want these to look kind of cool we want our we want to attach ourselves to them and so we're going to make them look like this and hope it works out that way no it's the opposite because the mission mattered more than the function i mean these things could have been but ugly they could have been if it made sense for them to have 360 vantage points they would have given them like 40 eyes 40 cameras on a ball and that's all it would be but now we have lego sets with spirit and opportunity that we want to build because they're cool looking because they're personable because they are life forms that were created by people who cared about the mission and as a result what we get are these two rovers that we fall in love with because they become they have they develop personality for us by the way in which they move and i think it's 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 made more it's emphasized more with angela bassett and those subtle voiceover things i love the fact that there's not it's not robotic it's just very tender it's very i mean the the feminine voice in those moments makes sense because i don't feel like these are hard cold robots i feel like they are actual life forms and so her voice in those moments accentuated what we were really attaching ourselves to yeah i agree i i just i i'm with you 100% on the personification of them and how much every piece of this shows you and i think the angela bassett thing is a great example of that it, it just that's how the team feels about the rovers and it's clear in every single interview my favorite person and i like almost all of them but kobe boykins is a mechanical engineer and he was a blast he is so charismatic full of energy and passion funny like he he just is truly overflowing with energy and tr and, and happiness of of these rovers and what they're accomplishing and it's funny because each team member is not necessarily concerned with all of the same pieces. There's the section at the end where on Soul 5000, the engineering team wants to take a selfie. I think it's the engineering team. And, or the science team wants to take a selfie. And, uh, and the engineering team is like, dude, we've got a broken arm. <laughs> we, we have arthritis. We can barely, if we move this camera to try and take this selfie, we could truly break our ability to ever move forward at the end of Abby's lifespan. And as a group, they agreed that it was worth it. And and I've cried both times when they took the selfie. I'm not going to lie. When they show that in this film, it just is so powerful to me as a representation of, and he even says it, he says, this is like them doing us a favor because we had never gotten to see it. And while some on the mission were there worried, the scientists were worried about the rocks and the, the sediments and the things that Oppie was actually accomplishing on Mars. The engineering team was feeling their success and connection from having designed it, the rovers and watching them succeed, watching them be able to overcome obstacles, not in the data collection results but in the process of making it able to do the data collection and so for them to kind of come together and get that really cool selfie of oppie there at the end 
you know, it shows how important it is. And I think if there's one slight drawback at all to the film, there are a couple of sequences that felt staged towards the end of the film with that kind of, I think, push a little overboard on the we really like feel connected to this rover there, i don't know if you know what i'm talking about there's there's like a couple sequences where people are like walking in and out of buildings that i think that i could tell they were like okay now we're gonna film you now walk sullenly like into the building at this you know mm. angle or whatever those are the only times i felt it all like taken out of it but it was minor and um you know a question in here about you know do you do i think it's or do we think it's healthy to attach ourselves to something that isn't alive in this way I didn't see any evidence of someone putting these rovers above their families. I, I could have. And I think the answer is, if you do that, you're wrong. That's the case for anything in life. If you're making an idol out of anything, whether it's, <laughs> you know, a hobby or building a rover uh, that looks like Wally, then you're wrong. But it's shown to us in a way that is inspiring and I think enhances the ability of what of what these rovers could mean to us as humans and for us out there exploring and not in a negative way so I don't have a problem with it it helps them have more buy-in and I think that's cool and I think some of the things we see about their connections to the rovers are after the fact, like the woman who talks about how her twins remind her of the rovers. You know, it's not like she's having the twins before the rovers and then <laughs> compare, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's it's natural You that that makes sense for you to have those those kind of connections. And, and I do think it's healthy and it lends to the care that was put into this by everyone involved that helped make opportunity be able to last and spirit now we don't that's one of the things that's funny about this documentary it's called goodnight oppie because oppie lasted 14 years and 138 days they were both supposed to go 90 souls spirit lasted six years two months and 19 days so even spirit just blew past like by six years plus or almost six years the expected lifespan and so both of these you know they wouldn't have gotten as far as they did without that kind of love true love from everybody involved in the teams i don't think yeah and i think what makes the attachment a lot more visceral is the fact that there were nasa traditions that were applied to these rovers that was probably my favorite part of the documentary was was that component and in particular the wake-up music that something i didn't know about nasa is that when you have manned flights that you have a wake-up song to get them going every morning and it's not the same one it's a different that's song in the martian day. it's in the martian it's another one of the things see, ah see i didn't i've forgotten about that you'll notice it and, when you watch it again uh yeah and and i think that how it makes its way into the film is so fitting because again, it doesn't take you out of the moment. Like the emotion that you feel when 
ABBA's SOS is playing is fitting for that moment, as opposed to other times when you have more solemn songs or when you have more upbeat ones. And I think that it's really cool to bring those rovers into the traditions of NASA and to say, look, they're not human, but they are alive in a sense that they're doing work. And let's carry this out. The Peanuts are another fantastic example of that. And it just speaks to the camaraderie and the history of the space program and how it's evolved over the last 60 years from rockets to the moon to now rovers on Mars and hopefully one day allowing Pluto to become an actual planet again. I don't think that's going to happen, but whatever. I'm going to continue to advocate for that as long as I'm alive. But I think Goodnight Oppie as a documentary continues to just send that message that not that NASA is the best place to work, but that the we mentality and allowing that family of people to continue to support one another is what's really the most important thing. I recently finished covering um, Halt and Catch Fire season one with Adam on AOS. And one of the things that gets elevated there is these two teams of developers for a computer called the giant. And you have a software team and a hardware team. And at one point in one of the particular episodes, you've got two people, hardware and a software person, complaining to each other about how it's done. No, it's not. It needs more. No, it doesn't. And we talk about how there's a sense of ownership that each individual person has on a project and they think it's theirs. Same thing on a movie set. A director, we, when we think of a movie, we think, oh, that's a James Cameron film. Well, yeah, he's the director, but what about the DP? Isn't it his film too? What about the writer? What about the producer? What about the actors or craft services, for goodness sake? Everybody has a hand in making that movie successful in some way, shape, or form. This documentary vaults that to like level 10. Never in my viewing did I ever think one person was the guy or the girl. Never once did I think the rovers were the centerpiece. They were an extension of NASA and this team at JPL. And I think that's what one of the successful parts about this documentary is that we never individualize this mission. It's always about the group. And I think that's been universal about the space program in general. It's never been about Neil Armstrong or Buzz Aldrin. It's about all the people that went through that, about the people that made the parts, about the people that made the parts that made the parts. Like everybody had a piece of the success of every monumental moment in space exploration and this was just another one and i'm so glad that we get to see it in this form in this documentary format yeah me too and and i'm so glad also that whether they did it on purpose or not this documentary for me showed a strong diversity component within nasa i mean it made me think literally anybody could be a nasa scientist a nasa engineer and they have a small section that kind of talks a little bit about that um with some of the females that are there and i love that i love that it's not just a bunch of guys in a control room which you know historically 
decades ago, like a lot of jobs, it was, but that's not the case. And again, going back to like being inspiring and for people to see this and believe they could be a part of something like this, there's no reason to watch this and think you couldn't at all whatsoever. And if if you're interested in it, people should go after that. And hopefully that's what it does. Hopefully it inspires some of the next smart, brilliant minds to want to use that for their careers to contribute to further space exploration and, you know, uh, furthering humanity's attempts to know more about the universe around them. Because without that, then it eventually stops. And right. we don't want that. <laughs> Neither one of us yeah. want that. No. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Feeling Film. We hope that you've enjoyed this conversation as much as we have. Um, I know I've had a great time with it. Next week, we're hitting the theater. We're going to see Strange Worlds, the new Disney original story that's getting a lot of buzz. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to, to see that. I know it's something that hasn't gotten a lot of promotion, at least from a marketing standpoint, but we're going to check it out and hopefully bring back another good conversation. In the meantime, enjoy this one. Enjoy all of our other episodes. Aaron, thanks so much for all that you do and for this conversation. We'll talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling filled.